Good morning. Wasn't that an awesome song? I'm forgiven. That's what Christ says, right? Well, we started, uh, oh, Resurrection uh, Weekend, talking about this changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If he hadn't risen from the dead, we wouldn't have been having communion this morning. We wouldn't be remembering his resurrection power. We would not be forgiven because it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that provides the grace, the mercy, the power to transform our lives, you know. So forgiveness is really the core. It's the good news. It's the gospel, if you would, you know. Um, I once heard a story about Camelot. You know, when King Arthur was away, and uh, what was his wife's name? Guinevere. Guinevere, his wife, she was unfaithful with Sir Lancelot. And when King Arthur returned, he found out about the affair, and he had his wife placed in a convent for life. And towards the end of the story, in a very beautiful scene, he goes down to the convent and he visits her, trying to make everything all right. And in the closing lines of that scene, he says, Lo, I forgive thee, even as the eternal God forgives. And then he turns and walks away. That's not how God forgives. And he might have said it, but that's not the way God forgives. You know, he doesn't leave you, abandon you at the convent, you know. He doesn't leave you in your circumstances and abandon you, you know. I mean, if he had forgiven his wife the way God forgives us, he would have said, honey, I forgive you. Pack your bags, we're going home. You will ascend again to the throne and serve alongside of me. Does that make sense? So though he said he was forgiving the way the eternal does, he, he really didn't. There's a song, I think we sang it on uh, Resurrection Morning there, you know, this past uh, Easter celebration. And I think the, the song is called Resurrecting by Elevation. And there was just a little statement in the song that says, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. I like that. The resurrected king, his name is Jesus, is resurrecting me into right relationship. He doesn't just say, I forgive you, and then walk away from us. But he wants us to be in relationship, close relationship with him. Because he loves us, he he cares about us. Now, how different God's pardon is from the way we pardon people. A, a lots of times we forgive people the way, well, there was a, a mother and, a, and her daughter, and, and the little girl was pretty mischievous. Do you have any kids who are that way? Don't look at them right now when I said that. But uh, 
they kind of made a little deal, you know. And if the girl would be good for like a week or something, there's maybe privileges that would come her way, you know. And anyhow, at the end of the week, the old girl, she popped up. She was the first one and said, Mama, I need a favor. You know, I need you to do something for me. And uh, the mom popped up. She says, Honey, you have been awesome this week. You've been really good. But last week, you were horrible. Is that the way God forgives us? Does God bring up your past? No, he does not. Do you ever bring up people's past? Raise your hand if you've ever bring up other people's past. We've, we've all done that, have we not? It's not the right thing to do. That's not the way God does. God does not bring up our past. And we need to, we need to forgive the way God forgives. When the now famous poet Elizabeth Barrett, be, uh, she became the wife of Robert Browning, her parents disowned her because they, they disapproved of the marriage. They didn't want her to marry him, but she did anyhow. And their daughter, Elizabeth, uh, she, she, wrote, she got married, and she wrote almost every week telling them how much she loved them and respected them and appreciated them and how she wanted reconciliation back, you know. And now, how many weeks are in a year? 52. So she probably wrote 50 to 51 letters a year. So after 10 years, she received a huge box from her parents in the mail that contained all the notes that she had sent them, and not one had ever been opened. 10 years. Huge box of all these cards, of all that was going on in her life, asking for forgiveness, telling you know, how much she loved them and appreciated them and on and on and on and on and on and on. You know, uh, you know, history has this precious, you know, uh, part of literature that we can study of all the letters that she wrote, but her parents missed out because they never, ever read not even one of the love letters that she had sent. If they had read one love letter of just saying, Mom, Dad, I love you, I miss you, I'm so sorry that I let you down, would you please forgive me? What can I, you know? But they never read one. Now we have a, a stack of love letters sent to us from God. Now, every once in a while, we might take uh, just a little, one little sentence out of the middle of the letter. We might read it and think about that one sentence. But do we read it in context? Do we read it as a love letter from Almighty God to us? Or, or, or does it just make a statement on our coffee table when people come over? Oh, you must be a Christian. You got one of those on your coffee table too, you know. But it's a nice, bound copy of hundreds of love letters that God has given to us. And, and do we take it to heart? Do we look at these love letters? Think about that for a moment. You know, all of us are alienated from God because of sin. But God don't want that to happen. He doesn't want us being separated. That's not what he wants. 
He has provided a way for reconciliation, and, and he's forgiven us. The Bible tells us all about it. Are you reading his love letters? I mean, if you had a love letter, would, would you, if, if, if the love of your life sent you a letter, would you read it more than once? Maybe even memorize it? You know, put it under your pillow? Treasure it, value it? These are love letters from Almighty God. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now. Let's settle this. Says the Lord, this is God speaking to you. You guys who are here in the surface, you guys in the balcony, the guys in our overflow down in the cafe, all you guys watching online, God's speaking to you and he's saying, come, let's settle this. Let's get this thing settled. You know, let's sit down together. Let's get it settled. Let's don't ignore it. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet. God says, I will make them as white as snow. Though your sins, though they are red like crimson. And I don't know if you understand that, but in the proper context, you understand, I mean, back in those days, they would dye materials, you know, but it wasn't the same dye that we have today. But they would dye uh, wool, and they would dye it, you know, and then they would pull it out and let it dry and then dip it again, double dye it, so the dye would not fade and, and, and lose color, you know, with a little wear and tear. So what, what he's saying here is, though your sins, though they're red like crimson, uh, th though they've been double dipped in sin, your sins are double dipped. It's very obvious. He says, though your sin is, is red like crimson, God says, I will make them white as wool. God says, let's get this thing settled. You've got to understand. God says, I want to wash it. I want to cleanse it. I don't care if it's double, triple, quadruple dipped. He says, I'm going to make you as white as wool. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to purify you. It's what he's telling us. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For God is working in you. Now, do you ever sense that God's working in you? Yeah. Four, five, six, yeah, okay. Well, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to help me with this right now because I'm going to tell you the truth of it. And if you can help me, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God is working in you. I want you to point at him. I know your mama said don't point your finger, but you can do it today. God's working in you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. God's working in you. He is. And he's working in you. <laughs> you know. You're not close enough to point yourself. God's working in you. And, and maybe you sense the reality that God's working in you. Maybe you don't sense it. But he's working there in you. And listen to what he goes on to say. God is working in you, giving you the desire. Now, let me ask you for, for a moment here. Do you ever desire for God to use you to make a difference in this world in which we live? Do you ever desire that God would use your life and what he's doing in you to make an eternal difference in somebody else's life? That maybe somehow by you 
being born and you being here at this present time and maybe sharing a little bit of your story, what God's done in you, that maybe somebody else would come to know Christ and that they would make it to heaven because of you. Now, God has given us, I believe every one of us, a desire to make a difference with our life, to reach our potential, to to, to reach our God-designed destiny. You ever have any self-help books at home? Says, well, if you do this, and you can do this, and you can do that, you know? Self-help books. It says here, for God is working in you, giving you the desire. How many of you desire to be healthier? How many of you desire to eat healthier? (laughs) How many of you desire to lose some weight? You know, my list could go on and on and on. But those self-help books I was talking about that tells you, well, you got to do this and 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 don't do that, 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 or that, you know. And lots of times we go away from going, I know what to do. I just, have you ever discovered that you like the power to get it done? Anybody ever like the power to do what you, I mean, you signed up at a gym you felt really good about giving them your money. You know, as I said, giving them. They didn't earn it because you never showed up. But you had a desire, right? Well, it says here, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. God does not frustrate us by giving us a desire to do something that we can't do. He gives us a desire to make a difference with our life. He gives us a desire to make our lives count. And he gives us the power to get the job done. Now that's different. But that's God, the Almighty, who created you with the purpose. And none of you are too young or too old because God's looking to work in each of us, he's given us a desire. And, and I want to tell you something. I want to hear. I want, if, if, you, if you honestly to goodness, you have a desire that's bigger than what you're doing right now, you say, I really do. As young as I am or as old as I am or as middle-aged as I am, I have a desire. And let me tell you what my desire is. I want to hear about it. If you have a genuine desire to make a difference, to bring more people into the knowledge of God, to get more people's names written in the book of heaven. And you, want, you, you have a desire that people don't go to hell, that they go to heaven, that they get to know the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And however that is, it don't matter. There's 10 million ways to go about doing it. But if you have a desire to make a bigger difference than you're making right now, or just to to continue making the difference you're making right now, I want to hear about it. If you're willing to drop me down a little paragraph on a piece of paper, drop it in the tithe box, email it to faithlivingchurch.com, attention, Pastor Ron, I want to know about your desire. 
And maybe we can find in these love letters somewhere, find how to access the power that he gives us to fulfill these desires. Let's just make a, a difference, an eternal difference with our lives. So going on, and this verse we actually read last week, but it's just an awesome passage. I think I could read this verse every day. In Psalms 32, verse 1, it says, Oh, what joy. Did, did you know that joy empowers us? I mean, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The devil can steal our joy. He can steal our strength. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. To know that the things that you've done, that God's forgiven them, and that he's put it out of sight, Oh, the joy. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of miracles that God works. He has and throughout the Bible and in this day and time. There are miracles that still happen. But there is no miracle greater than the genuine miracle. I mean a literal miracle of forgiving us. Because forgiving us for our sin is what takes us to heaven. Jesus came, and he wasn't here on a vacation tour. He came with a purpose, and he gave his life. The Bible says that when Jesus died, he descended into hell. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus went to hell for three days? He crossed over this big old gulf. And it was prophesied in the beginning of your Bible. It says that the heel of man will bruise, crush the serpent's head. And Jesus crossed over that gulf, beat the stuffings out of the devil, took the big old ring of keys out of his hand, did you know hell is, is a place of incarceration where you're locked up? There's a cell that's got your name on it where misery knows no bounds. And Jesus took those keys. The Bible tells us this. And he rose from the dead. And he's saying, ain't no devil can lock you up. I'm just telling you what he says. Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm telling you, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead makes all the difference in the world. And he just says, just believe in me. Jesus went to the cross. He descended into hell. He took the keys. He rose from the dead. And there's all kinds of evidence that, that verify that. Historically, historically in, in, in literature, scientifically, just all kinds of documentation that Jesus rose from the dead. <clears throat> and this changes everything because he forgives us. I don't have to go there. I don't have to go there. So, he says here in Psalms 32, verse 1, it says, Oh, what joy. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Now, I'm going to tell you, that joy empowers me. If you were to win a $500 million lottery, how would you feel about it? Yeah. You would be cutting cartwheels and wanting to tell it. Would you want to tell somebody? Some of you are wise enough, enough to not tell a soul. <laughs> but I don't think you could contain it, you know. You want to tell somebody what happened. Well, I'm going to tell you, when you and I have been forgiven for our sins by Almighty God, it's a bigger to do than winning millions of dollars in a lottery. It really is. We've been forgiven. It changes our eternal destiny. It, it, it makes a difference. 
And he says here in verse 2, Psalms 32, verse 2, yeah, Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Colossians 2.14, he canceled the record that contained the charges against us. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but there are angels documenting everything that we do. There, there, are, there are angel scribes that are documenting everything that we do or we don't do that we should have done. And it says, he, God, canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it, the record, and he destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. When Jesus hung on a cross, unseen to the natural eye, was all the sins of the people up to that time and all the sins because God had the foreknowledge of the things that I would do and you would do, and all those things were nailed to the cross, and Jesus paid for it. He didn't deserve anybody ever saying a harsh word to him, but he was beaten to the point of almost being unrecognizable as a human being. He was nailed to a cross. And you remember what he said? Now, I don't know if you understand, after being beaten, he was weakened. And there was a nail through both of his feet. And when you're hanging from your, your wrist from a cross, you can't breathe. It's just, you can't breathe. Maybe like this you might, but like this you can't breathe. So you had to push your body up against the nail. You had to push up. You couldn't exhale. You had to push up again. And one of those breaths, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they And he did it for you. I'm telling you, forgiveness is extremely valuable. We can't just take it half half hearted like you know well what's a big deal he did it for you even if you didn't know about it he did it for you because he loves you <clears throat> so he said in Colossians 2.14 he canceled the record that contained the charges against us Jesus did he took it and he destroyed it by nailing it to, the, to Christ's cross Jesus died for my sins and they were nailed to the cross. Although unseen by the naked eye, my sins was nailed to that cross when Jesus died. And your sins were nailed to that cross. Verse 5 goes on to say in Psalms 32, verse 5, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide them. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. God forgave us because of what Christ did. A high payment. And the consequences of that payment, all the guilt that you and I have thrown at us from time to time by the liar, the deceiver, all of my guilt is gone. Forgiveness means to pardon, remit, absolve, cancel, release. A debt. To treat the offender as not guilty. Causing the removal of anger. Forgiveness. 
Someone asked Martin Luther, if I said, do you feel that you have been forgiven? Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you've been forgiven? And Martin Luther, great man of God, in an earlier century, he said, he answered, he says, no, I don't feel like it. But I am as sure as there is a God in heaven, for feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My guaranteed is the word of God, and nothing else is worth believing. Does your feelings change from day to day? Do you always feel forgiven and really close to God? Have you ever woke up and you were sick? You had a flat tire or maybe four of them. You got like several unexpected bills in the mail. Your neighbor's upset with you. You found out that you may be getting fired or, or uh, getting a reduced salary. And the list can go on and on and on. And do you feel really wonderful and saved and all then? It's like, but thank God feelings do not dictate to us. Feelings are so subject to change. Are they not? Absolutely they are, you know. But in the midst of all this, we must believe. We must believe that, that God forgives us and that God cleanses us whether you feel forgiven or not, you know. You can be forgiven and not feel anything because the, you know, the liar is at work, the devil. But listen to what it says in Psalms 103, verse 12. It says, he has removed, talking about God, he has removed our sins as far from us as the North Pole is from the South Pole. Is that what he said? Does anybody know how far? I didn't take the time to look it up. I wish I had it, but does anybody know how far it is from the North Pole to the South Pole? It's about halfway, but what's all the way? We'll just divide it in half if I knew. I don't remember, but can you get from the South Pole to the North Pole? Okay. What about if I said, I want, you just to, I want you to start walking west? How many days would it take you to get to east? If you started walking west, I mean, you would walk and wear out pairs of shoes and maybe even wear a trench in the earth as you're going. But if you're going west, you can go west forever. God didn't say he's going to separate our sin as far as the North Pole is from the South Pole. He said, I'm going to separate your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. And, and that is innumerable. There's not a number. There's not a number how far it is from the east to the west. Because you just keep going east or west forever. And see, there's significance to why he said that. That's how far God separates our sin when he forgives us. He forgives us and he forgets about it. He really does. Now, I want to share something with you. I don't know if you know this or not, but I will share something with you that's really significant. In Psalms uh, 51 and, and other places, the Bible tells us that we were born sinners, okay? We're born sinners. And you understand that, and we, we, we do wrong things. You know, so that's, that's understandable. That's the way we was born, right? Well, let me back up for just a second. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked on a farm in high school. And, and that was my passion. I love being outdoors. I love working on a farm with equipment and 
and animals and lakes and things all around. And I, I worked a lot of hours on the farm in the summer and days off and weekends and things like that. But I also had another job. I worked in a typewriter shop. My last uh, year in, in high school, I worked in a typewriter shop, oh, probably about a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer. And uh, I'll wait till the sound effects stop. It's okay. It's okay just to hit stop or do that. Do y'all know what a typewriter is? This is the older crowd. I think. A lot of the young crowd don't have a clue what a typewriter. A type of what? You know? You're forgiven, okay? Okay, thank you. But I worked in a typewriter shop, and I, I repaired manual typewriters and electric typewriters. And during the summer when school was out, I would go into the public schools, and I'd take all the typewriters from the typing class, and I would clean them, and I would repair the damaged ones and take them out. So I actually got paid for repairing typewriters and ad machines and things like that. That's what I did once upon a time. It was actually an occupation. It was my occupation for that year and a half. I actually was paid pretty well for repairing them, okay? Now, I answered the call of God upon my life. As time progressed, I spent a couple of years traveling across the country, hitchhiking and backpacking, sharing the gospel. Then I, uh, Susan and I got married, and within a month we went to Bible school. And as we you know, served in Bible school and learned the things that we could learn there. And then God opened up the doors and we came to New Haven. We pastored a church over in New Haven. We started a Bible study over here. And the church thrived from the moment we started. It just began to grow. And guess what we had here? We had typewriters. And as a pastor, no longer was it my occupation. I was a pastor. No longer was my occupation, but from time to time, when the typewriters that we had would break, I would fix it. I mean, it was foolish to hire a typewriter repairman to come and fix it when I could do it. No longer was it my career or my occupation, but occasionally I fixed a typewriter. And I was born into sin, as you were. But the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, Jesus. He becomes a what? New creature, a new creation. What does new mean? It means new. <laughs> you know what new is? It ain't the old. He says, if any man is in Christ, he becomes a new creation. Old things, the Bible says the old things are passed away. The old occupation has passed away. All things have become new. Did you know the New Testament says when you've accepted Christ, you become a partaker of his divine nature. Is God's nature sinful? No, it's not. So, and, and on and on and on. You become a child of God. You're a new creature. He says 
The old things are gone. He says that. So I may fix a typewriter every once in a while, but it's not my occupation or my career anymore. I may sin, but it's not who I am. I'm not an old sinner because I knew a lot of people who had the mentality, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, and they had no confidence that they could ever change or anything would ever be different in their life. They were defeated at best. But in Christ Jesus, the old, he gives us victory. He, he causes us to rise up and he separates us from sin's control. Do we sin occasionally? Yes. But it's no longer our occupation because you come a, become a child of God or partaker of God's divine nature. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Do, do, do we have the potential to sin, to miss the mark? Yes, we do. But no longer is it my, my, who I really am. That's important for us to understand that. <clears throat> the late baseball legend, Gil Hodges, told about managing the Washington Senators, and he discovered four of his players had broken curfew the previous night. Immediately, he called a team meeting and he said, I know who you are, but I do not wish to embarrass you. You know the rules. You'll each be fined $100. I have placed a cigar box on my desk and I expect the four of you who broke curfew to put your money in the box by 3 p.m. today. At the end of the day, Hodges found $700 in the cigar box. He discovered there's a whole lot more people who are struggling with guilt than he realized. You know, guilt plagues every one of us to some degree, does it not? But oh, the joy to know that you're forgiven. The joy to know that you're forgiven and, and all the guilt is, is gone. The IRS once received a letter from an anonymous taxpayer and it read... I have cheated on my income taxes for the past seven years. And tonight my conscience is troubling me so much to the point that I cannot sleep. I have enclosed a check as my way of saying I am sorry. And if I find that I still cannot sleep, I'll send the rest of what I owe. Dr. Carl Menninger, the famed psychiatrist, he once said that if he could convince his patients in the psychiatric hospital, if he could convince his patients in the psychiatric hospital that their sins were forgiven, this doctor who understood the mind, he said 75% of them could be cured and walk out of here the next day. Here's a doctor who studies the mind, and he said, if I could convince them that their sins were forgiven, 75% would be totally cured and go home and live a, a normal life. That's telling us that unforgiveness, when we think that we're unforgivable and guilt, it takes a heavy toll upon us. And if a man would just believe what Christ says is, I forgive you. It would transform, it would change your life.
You see, we live in a world where one of the greatest problems it is guilt. One of the greatest problems is guilt. You know, being forgiven, it changes everything. It changes everything. There's a large sum of money was given to a man called Roland Hill. And his job was to distribute the money to a particular Christian pastor. Thinking that the amount was too much to send all at once, Hill forwarded just a portion along with a note that said simply, more to follow. In a few days, the man received another envelope containing the same amount with the same message, more to follow. At regular intervals, there came a third and a fourth. In fact, they continued for a long time with those uplifting words, more to follow. Now, you know, when God, he forgives our sins, you could hear his heart he's saying there's more to follow whatever you need right now in your life whatever you're going through there's more to follow there's more grace and there's more mercy and there's more forgiveness to follow to help you through this season in your life and to help you into to the next season to help us through old age and to help us to cross over from this world to the next there's, there's more to follow you have not exhausted the forgiveness and the mercy of Almighty God. There's more to follow. But there's one thing you got to remember, and here's the thing that undoes it all. There's one thing that will stop the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace from ever reaching you again. The Bible tells us, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, towards somebody else, God cannot forgive you. It's a prayer. You know the prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses. Some people say debts. Some people say Sins, it's, it's all the same. Debts, trespasses, sin, it's all sin. And it says, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Father, forgive me for my sins the same way I forgive my worst enemy. Did you know if you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, did you know God cannot forgive you? I mean, not just one, but multiple places in the Bible, he says he cannot and he will not forgive you if you don't forgive somebody else. And some people, they'll say, well, Pastor Ron, you just don't understand. I can't forgive. Don't, no, wait, don't. Come on, don't lie to me. If you're going to say that statement, say the truth. I won't forgive them. But don't say you can't. I can do all things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You may be hurt and you might go, I'll, I'll never forgive them. I said that. I'm going to stick to that. Well, then you can't be forgiven. And I'm telling you the truth. You don't pass go. You don't collect your $200. I'm just telling you the truth. That's just the way it is. You say, me not forgiving somebody else will make God. Uh-huh. That's what he says. And he teaches us to pray. Forgive me the same way I forgave her. 
Forgive me the same way I forgave him. We've prayed that prayer, and it's echoed throughout the scriptures, to be honest with you. I would encourage you to read, if you get a chance this week, to read a Romans chapter 6, 7 and 8. Just read those, and, and they'll probably be a great inspiration to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says, The old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come. Not the reality of the good things Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again. The sacrifice of sheep and doves and bulls and um, you know, guilt offerings and all. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once and for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Verse 3. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their sin. Year after year, we, we had to come and give up. Oh, no, I forgot about that. Like They were always feeling guilty. Another sacrifice. It was, it was never really clean. And he goes on and says in verse 4, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It can't. It just covered it for a while. Verse 11 goes on to say, Hebrews 10, 11, Under the old covenant... The priest, what's that say? Stand. Everybody say it again? Stand. Under the old covenant, the priest who was there sacrificing the lambs, you know, putting them to death, pouring out their blood in this holy place to cover over their sin for a season, they stood day after day, year after year. He says here, verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day, offering sacrifices that can never take away sin. But, but our high priest, and, and what's his name? Jesus. Our high priest offered himself. Now, those priests, those other priests, were offering a lamb. But Jesus, remember John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our high priest offered himself. He climbed up on the altar. He offered himself. And that's what the cross was all about. He says, under the old covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day offering sacrifices that can never take away sin. But verse 12 says, but our high priest offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sin, good for all time. And then he did what? The other priest did what? They always stood because their work was never done. Jesus, once he made a sacrifice, it says, but our high priest offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sins, good for all time, and then he sat down. What did Jesus say as he hung upon the cross? It is finished. It's finished. No more sacrifices are needed. He sat down at the place of highest honor at God's right hand. See, when Christ comes into your life, you need to understand you are pardoned, not paroled. Is there a difference? Now, we've had quite a few people who have been on parole, and that's cool, wonderful people. It's probably some of us right here 
We've been on parole, and with parole, a lot of people do community service. They have limitations. They can't leave the state. They can't do here. They can't go to these kind of places. They have to do this and this and give account of that and that and that under parole. But what about when you're pardoned? You're free. You're free. So when Christ comes into our life, we're not on parole. There's not a conditional thing with all kinds of restrictions and limitations. He says you're pardoned. Pardon means your guilt is gone. You might feel guilty from time to time, but feelings are not reliable. Feelings are not reality. Feelings are so subject to change. You feel good one day, you don't feel good. It's like they're subject to change. They're, they're fickle. You're forgiven, you know, and your guilt. Your guilt's gone. Isaiah 43, verse 25 says, says, I, God speak, I, yes, I alone am the one who blots out your sins. Why? Why, why would he do that? You know, you ever see a person on the side of the road needing help? And, and, and you know, your heart goes out and, and you want to help them because they're in such trouble. Or you ever see a cat or a dog that's just really mangy and all, and you go, your heart goes out or one in a kennel somewhere and you're going, oh, I just want to, it's, it's so pitiful. I just want to make his life better. That's not the way God looks at you. You hear what he says here? He says, I, I alone am the one who blots out your sins for my own sake, says Almighty God. I blot out your sins for my benefit. I clean you up so you can spend eternity with me. You've got to understand. God created you. He knows everything about you. You may not know him yet, but he knows all about you. And he has forgiven you because he wants a relationship with you. He don't feel, oh, you sorry, poor little pitiful thing. No, he forgives you for his benefit. That's what he says. I, yes, I alone am the one who blots out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Did I already ask you this question? You ever think of what other people do? You ever bring up somebody else's sins? Well, you remember when you did? Well, you remember when you did? God doesn't do that. And we're so unlike him when we do that. So let's change, okay? Let's become more like him. Hebrews 10, 17 says, then he adds, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Now, when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Jesus sat down. No more sacrifices needed. It's paid for. It's paid for. Robert Brindley is an American baseball sportscaster and a former professional baseball player. He was also a coach. He was also a manager. He played the majority of his major league baseball career as a catcher for the, Saint Fran for the San Francisco Giants. In 1986, Bob Brindley, he was playing third base for the San Francisco Giants in the fourth inning of a game against the Atlanta Braves. Brindley made an error. That sounds bad, don't it? You ever made an error? You ever 
made an error when you was adding up and you thought you had more money in your bank account than you did? And there's 10,000 other ways we can make an error, right? But here, Brindley made an error on a routine ground ball. Four batters later, he kicked away another grounder. Another error, you know? And then while he was scrambling after the ball, he threw wildly past home plate, trying to get, you know, the runner there. Two errors on the same play. A few minutes later, he muffed yet another play to become the first player. Man, this was notable. I mean, this has gone down in history. He was the first player in the 20th century to make four errors in one inning. That's not a good reputation to have. You know, four big mistakes. Nobody's ever made that many in one inning like this before, you know? Can't imagine how he felt during the long walk off the field at the end of that inning. But then in the bottom of the fifth, Brindley hit a home run. Then in the seventh, he hit a bases-loaded single, driving in two runs and tying the game. In the bottom of the ninth, Brindley came up to bat again with two outs. He ran the count to three and two, and then he hit a massive home run in the left, the left field seats to win the game for the Giants. Brindley, his scorecard for that day came to three hits, Five at-bats, two home runs, four errors, four runs allowed, four runs driven in, including the game-winning run. Have you ever made a bunch of errors in your life? Don't give up! The game ain't over yet. Okay, you made an error. Okay, maybe you got a record. You made four, the shortest amount of time anybody ever made four errors before. But I want to tell you, when you accept Jesus Christ, you accept him into your life and you receive his forgiveness, you knock a home run. It ain't over, you see. It ain't over. That's just the truth of it. And, and, and we need to tell people about what Christ has done. Okay. And if you read... Psalms 51, it talks about creating me a clean heart, oh God. Read the whole Psalms 51. It's, it's awesome. But creating me a clean heart, oh God. He says, and renew a right spirit within me. Take me not away from your Holy Spirit. What does he tell us? He says, restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. That's where the power comes from, you see. Restoring to us the joy of your salvation. And when he restores the joy, and you get the joy when you know you're forgiven. Oh, the joy of knowing your sins are forgiven. Restoring to me the joy of thy salvation. Restoring to me the joy of being forgiven. And then I will teach transgressors your ways. I'll teach rebels your ways. And they will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. That's what the Bible says. Psalms 51. And you know what? I believe that. And I want to challenge you. If you tell somebody about how God's forgiven you, regardless of what it's for, if you tell how he's changed your life and, and the good news of what he can do for them, I want to hear about it. I want to hear about your adventure sharing 
the good news of other people. Even if they reject it, if they accept it, it don't matter. I want to hear about it. That, that thrills my soul when people are sharing their faith, this good news that, hey, we're forgiven. We're, you can be forgiven just like I was, you know. Because I'm going to tell you something, the truth be made known, everybody's hungry for forgiveness. Now, we're going to pray in just a moment. But before we pray, I got some good stuff in the bag today. Heavy. And I'm going to share it with you. And what I would like is some ushers, probably four, four ushers. Can I get y'all just coming up around the altar area? And just hang, hang tight here, and we're going to pray. But I have got some awesome stuff for you guys. And I want the ushers to be at all the doors to hand this out to you when you get ready to leave. I've got a list for you. Take home with you. And it's everything that God is mad at you about. Here, here's a list of all the things God's mad at you about. Here, here's your list, brother. Of all things that God's mad at you about. Here, I want you to, that, that's yours here. Okay, here you go. Now, wait, 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 hang tight right here. We're not ready to go yet. This is what God is upset with you about. It's a list. I made this list special for y'all. And I want you to put it somewhere so when the devil tries to condemn you, make you feel guilty and bad, you pull out this list and you look at all the things God's upset with you and he's mad at you about. Just look at that list. So you put it somewhere you can see it every once in a while. It's, you look and see what it says. Okay? So I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And we thank you, Father. We surely don't deserve to be forgiven, but you forgive us anyhow. Because you want to, because you want a relationship with us. Father, thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you that the sacrifice is made once and for all, and you sat down through your son, Jesus Christ. It's been done. As our heads are bowed, I'd like you to you know Jesus, I want you to reaffirm your faith in him with me right now as we pray. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're online somewhere, and, and you've never done this. You never invited Christ as a part of your life. You never received the forgiveness that he's offered to you. Maybe you didn't believe it was for you. You thought you didn't deserve it, and you don't. But it's a gift. So if, I'd like you to pray with us as well. And welcome Jesus in the forgiveness of sin. Receive that forgiveness today. Would you pray with me? We're going to pray out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. That's why you sent your son. And I believe that Jesus died in my place and paid for my sin. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is knocking at the door of my heart. And I open the door. And I welcome Jesus. And I welcome the forgiveness. Not a parole. But a pardon.
I receive it from you, Lord. Thank you for cleansing me and for your love for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we hand these out, no, you know, guys, you can go on two of the doors, make sure, because nobody want to miss this list that God has about the things he's upset with you about, and he's mad at you about. So you take your list, okay? But the last thing we're going to do, Pierre, is our weekly challenge, and it says, I will study the scriptures on God's amazing forgiveness, and I will share what I learn with others as God opens an opportunity. Would you do that? If God opens up an opportunity for you to share with other people what he's done for you, would you, would you tell them about it? And I want to hear about it, okay? And you know, as you leave, if you prayed and you asked Jesus into your life a while ago, would you stop at our connections desk and pick up a gift bag we put together for you? And if you're a guest, we have a gift for all of our guests. One of our ways of saying thank you for coming. We hope you come back. And if you need prayer, the people will be at the altar over here. Our prayer ministry will pray with you. And God answers prayer today. He genuinely does. And then would you high-five each other, handshake, give somebody a hug, and God bless you. You are dismissed.